Pope John Paul II, The Gospel of Life, Chapter 4, You Did It to Me, For a New Culture of Human Life. You are God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, a people of life and for life. The Church has received the Gospel as a proclamation and a source of joy and salvation. She has received it as a gift from Jesus, sent by the Father to preach good news to the poor. She has received it through the apostles, sent by Christ to the whole world. Born from this evangelizing activity, the Church hears every day the echo of St. Paul's words of warning, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. As Paul VI wrote, evangelization is the grace and vocation proper to the church. Her deepest identity, she exists in order to evangelize. Evangelization is an all-embracing progressive activity through which the church participates in the prophetic, priestly, and royal mission of the Lord Jesus. It is therefore inextricably linked to preaching, celebration, and the service of charity. Evangelization is a profoundly ecclesial act, which calls all the various workers of the gospel to action, according to their individual charisms and ministry. This is also the case with regard to the proclamation of the gospel of life, an integral part of that gospel which is Jesus Christ himself. We are at the service of this gospel, sustained by the awareness that we have received it as a gift and are sent to preach it to all humanity to the ends of the earth. With humility and gratitude, we know that we are the people of life and for life, and this is how we present ourselves to everyone. We are the people of life because God in his unconditional love, has given us the gospel of life. And by this same gospel, we have been transformed and saved. We have been ransomed by the author of life at the price of his precious blood. Through the waters of baptism, we have been made a part of him as branches, which draw nourishment and fruitfulness from the one tree interiorly renewed by the grace of the Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life, we have become a people for life, and we are called to act accordingly. We have been sent. For us, being at the service of life is not a boast, but rather a duty, born of our awareness of being God's own people, that we may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. On our journey, we are guided and sustained by the law of love, a love which has as its source and model the Son of God made man, who by dying gave life to the world. We have been sent as a people. Everyone has an obligation to be at the service of life. This is a properly ecclesial responsibility, which requires concerted and generous action by all the members, and by all sectors of the Christian community. This community commitment does not, however, eliminate or lessen the responsibility of each individual called by the Lord 
to become the neighbor to everyone. Go and do likewise. Together, we all sense our duty to preach the gospel of life, to celebrate it in the liturgy and in our whole existence, and to serve it with the various programs and structures which support and promote life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, proclaiming the gospel of life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Jesus is the only gospel. We have nothing further to say or any other witness to bear. To proclaim Jesus is itself to proclaim life, for Jesus is the word of life. In him, life was made manifest. He himself is the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. By the gift of the Spirit, this same life has been bestowed on us. It is in being destined to life in its fullness, to eternal life, that every person's earthly life acquires its full meaning. Enlightened by this gospel of life, we feel a need to proclaim it and to bear witness to it in all its marvelous newness, since it is one with Jesus himself who makes all things new and conquers the oldness which comes from sin and leads to death. This gospel exceeds every human expectation and reveals the sublime heights to which the dignity of the human person is raised through grace. This is how St. Gregory of Nyssa understands it. Quote, Man, as a being, is of no account. He is dust, grass, vanity. But once he is adopted by the God of the universe as a son, he becomes part of the family of that being, whose excellence and greatness no one can see, hear, or understand. What words, thoughts, or flight of the Spirit can praise the superabundance of this grace. Man surpasses his nature. Mortal, he becomes immortal. Perishable, he becomes imperishable. Fleeting, he becomes eternal. Human, he becomes divine. Unquote. Gratitude and joy at the incomparable dignity of man, man impel us to share this message with everyone. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. We need to bring the gospel of life to the heart of every man and woman, and to make it penetrate every part of society. This involves, above all, proclaiming the core of this gospel. It is the proclamation of a living God who is close to us, who calls us to profound communion with himself and awakens in us the certain hope of eternal life. It is the affirmation of the inseparable connection between the person, his life, and his bodiliness. It is the presentation of human life as a life of relationship, a gift of God, the fruit and sign of his love. It is the proclamation that Jesus has a unique relationship with every person, which enables us to see in every human face the face of Christ. It is the call for a sincere gift of self as the fullest way to realize our personal freedom. It also involves making clear all the consequences of this gospel, 
these can be summed up as follows. Human life, as a gift of God, is sacred and inviolable. For this reason, procured abortion and euthanasia are absolutely unacceptable. Not only must human life not be taken, but it must be protected with loving concern. The meaning of life is found in giving and receiving love. And in this light, human sexuality and procreation reach their true and full significance. Love also gives meaning to suffering and death. Despite the mystery which surrounds them, they can become saving events. Respect for life requires that science and technology should always be at the service of man and his integral development. Society as a whole must respect, defend, and promote the dignity of every human person at every moment and in every condition of that person's life. To be truly a people at the service of life, we must propose these truths constantly and courageously from the very first proclamation of the gospel and thereafter in catechesis, in the various forms of preaching, in personal dialogue, and in all educational activity. Teachers, catechists, and theologians have the task of emphasizing the anthropological reasons upon which respect for every human life is based. In this way, by making the newness of the gospel of life shine forth, we can also help everyone discover in the light of reason and of personal experience how the Christian message fully reveals what man is and the meaning of his being and existence. We shall find important points of contact and dialogue also with non-believers in our common commitment to the establishment of a new culture of life. Faced with so many opposing points of view and, in, and a widespread rejection of sound doctrine concerning human life, we can feel that Paul's entreaty to Timothy is also addressed to us. Preach the word. Be urgent in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Be unfailing in patience and in teaching. This exhortation should resound with special force in the hearts of those members of the church who directly share in different ways in her mission as teacher of the truth. May it resound above all for us who are bishops. We are the first ones called to be untiring preachers of the gospel of life. We are also entrusted with the task of ensuring that the doctrine, which is once again being set forth in this encyclical, is faithfully handed on in its integrity. We must use appropriate means to defend the faithful from all teaching which is contrary to it. We need to make sure that in theological faculties, seminaries, and Catholic institutions, sound doctrine is taught, explained, and more fully investigated. May Paul's exhortation strike a chord in all theologians, pastors, teachers, and in all those responsible for catechesis and the formation of consciences. Aware of their specific role, may they never be so grievously irresponsible as to betray the truth and their own mission by proposing personal ideas contrary to the gospel of life as faithfully presented and interpreted by the magisterium. In the proclamation of this gospel, we must not fear hostility or unpopularity, and we must refuse any compromise or ambiguity which might conform us to the world's way of thinking. We must be in the world, but not of the world, drawing our strength from Christ, who by his death and resurrection has overcome the world. I give you thanks that I am fearfully, wonderfully made, 
celebrating the gospel of life. Because we have been sent into the world as a people for life, our proclamation must also become a genuine celebration of the gospel of life. This celebration, with the evocative power of its gestures, symbols, and rites, should become a precious and significant setting in which the beauty and grandeur of this gospel is handed on. For this to happen, we need, first of all, to foster in ourselves and in others a contemplative outlook. Such an outlook arises from faith in the God of life, who has created every individual as a wonder. It is the outlook of those who see life in its deeper meaning, who grasp its utter gratuitousness, its beauty, and its invitation to freedom and responsibility. It is the outlook of those who do not presume to take possession of reality, but instead accept it as a gift, discovering in all things the reflection of the Creator, and seeing in every person His living image. This outlook does not give in to discouragement when confronted by those who are sick, suffering, outcast, or at death's door. Instead, in all these situations, it feels challenged to find meaning, and precisely in these circumstances, it is open to perceiving in the face of every person a call to encounter, dialogue, and solidarity. It is time for all of us to adopt this outlook, and with deep religious awe, to rediscover the ability to revere and honor every person, as Paul VI invited us to do in one of his first Christmas messages. Inspired by his contemplative outlook, the new people of the redeemed cannot but respond with songs of joy, praise, and thanksgiving for the priceless gift of life, for the mystery of every individual's call to share through Christ in the life of grace and in an existence of unending communion with our Creator and Father. To celebrate the gospel of life means to celebrate the God of life, the God who gives life. We must celebrate eternal life from which every other life proceeds. From this, in proportion to its capacities, every being which in any way participates in life receives life. This divine life, with a capital L, which is above every other life, gives and preserves life. Every life and every living movement proceed from this life with a capital L, which transcends all life and every principle of life. It is to this that souls owe their incorruptibility. And because of this, all animals and plants live, which receive only the faintest glimmer of life. To men, beings made of spirit and matter, life with a capital L grants life. Even if we should abandon life with a capital L because of its overflowing love for man, it converts us and calls us back to itself. Not only this, it promises to bring us soul and body to perfect life, to immortality. It is too little to say that this life with a capital L is alive. It is the principle of life, the cause and sole wellspring of life. Every living thing must contemplate it and give it praise. It is life with a capital L which overflows with life.
Nota Bene, that's a quote from Dionysius the Areopagite. Like the psalmist, we too, in our daily prayer as individuals and as a community, praise and bless God our Father, who knitted us together in our mother's womb and saw and loved us while we were still without form. We exclaim with overwhelming joy, I give you thanks that I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You know me through and through. Indeed, despite its hardships, its hidden mysteries, its sufferings, and its inevitable frailty, this mortal life is a most beautiful thing, a marvel ever new and moving, an event worthy of being exalted in joy and glory. Moreover, man and his life appear to us not only as one of the greatest marvels of creation, for God has granted to man a dignity which is near to divine. In every child which is born and in every person who lives or dies, we see the image of God's glory. We celebrate this glory in every human being, a sign of the living God, an icon of Jesus Christ. We are called to express wonder and gratitude for the gift of life, and to welcome, savor, and share the gospel of life, not only in our personal and community prayer, but above all in the celebrations of the liturgical year. Particularly important in this regard are the sacraments, the efficacious signs of the presence and saving action of the Lord Jesus in Christian life. The sacraments make us sharers in divine life and provide the spiritual strength necessary to experience life, suffering, and death in their fullest meaning. Thanks to a genuine rediscovery and a better appreciation of the significance of these rites, our liturgical celebrations, especially celebrations of the sacraments, will be ever more capable of expressing the full truth about birth, life, suffering, and death, and will help us to live these moments as a participation in the Paschal mystery of the crucified and risen Christ. In celebrating the gospel of life, we also need to appreciate and make good use of the wealth of gestures and symbols present in the traditions and customs of different cultures and peoples. There are special times and ways in which the peoples of different nations and cultures express joy for a newborn life, respect for and protection of individual human lives, care for the suffering or needy, closeness to the elderly and the dying, participation in the sorrow of those who mourn, and hope and desire for immortality. In view of this, and following the suggestion made by the Cardinals in the Consistory of 1991, I propose that a day for life be celebrated each year in every country as already established by some Episcopal conferences. The celebration of this day should be planned and carried out with the active participation of all sectors of the local church. Its primary purpose should be to foster in individual consciences, in families, in the church, and in civil society, a recognition of the meaning and value of human life at every stage and in every condition. Particular attention should be drawn to the seriousness of abortion and euthanasia without neglecting other aspects of life, which from time to time deserve to be given careful consideration as occasion and circumstances demand. As part of the spiritual worship acceptable to God, the gospel of life is to be celebrated above all in daily living, which should be filled with self-giving love for others. 
In this way, our lives will become a genuine and responsible acceptance of the gift of life and a heartfelt song of praise and gratitude to God who has given us this gift. This is already happening in the many different acts of selfless generosity, often humble and hidden, carried out by men and women, children and adults, the young and the old, the healthy and the sick. It is in this context, so humanly rich and filled with love, that heroic actions too are born. These are the most solemn celebration of the gospel of life, for they proclaim it by the total gift of self. They are the radiant manifestation of the highest degree of love, which is to give one's life for the person loved. They are a sharing in the mystery of the cross, in which Jesus reveals the value of every person and how life attains its fullness in the sincere gift of self. Over and above such outstanding moments, there is an everyday heroism made up of gestures of sharing, big or small, which build up an authentic culture of life. A particularly praiseworthy example of such gestures is the donation of organs performed in an ethically acceptable manner with a view to offering a chance of health and even of life itself to the sick who sometimes have no other hope. Part of this daily heroism is also the silent but effective and eloquent witness of all those brave mothers who devote themselves to their own family without reserve, who suffer in giving birth to their children, and who are ready to make any effort to face any sacrifice in order to pass on to them the best of themselves. In living out their mission, these heroic women do not always find support in the world around them. On the contrary, the cultural models frequently promoted and broadcast by the media do not encourage motherhood. In the name of progress and modernity, the values of fidelity, chastity, sacrifice, to which a host of Christian wives and mothers have borne and continue to bear outstanding witness, are presented as obsolete. We thank you, heroic mothers, for your invincible love. We thank you for your intrepid trust in God and in his love. We thank you for the sacrifice of your life. In the Paschal Mystery, Christ restores to you the gift you gave him. Indeed, he has the power to give you back the life you gave him as an offering. Next time, part two of chapter four.